Welcome to another episode of the Daniel Energy Partners in Basin Observations podcast. Um, we're on the road again. We're with uh, Sam Sledge from ProPetro. We're actually in his offices today. We thought we'd bring the uh, recording equipment out and to the field and to Midland and, and talk to some real people out here. And so we've got John Daniel, Bill Austin, and uh, Sam Sledge. Thanks for uh, coming and talk to us today, Sam. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming to see me and give me the opportunity to talk a little bit about my business today. Good. Well, we're going to jump right in because we've got about 30 minutes here. Then we have to head to the next meeting. So, Sam, let's uh, go back for Q3. You guys delivered about $90 million of adjusted EBITDA, slightly ahead of expectations, so good quarter. Um, you talked about you're running roughly 15 fleets today. Mm-hmm. Permian outlook right now sounds like a little bit dicey because some people finishing up year-end work. Still good, but a little bit of pricing pressures but the calendar looks really good for next year. Yeah. Walk us through the market today. Yeah, I think um, I think that's mostly that's mostly correct uh, view of the market the way you just explained it. I think one thing that I might pick out a little bit is the market being dicey in okay. the fourth quarter. I think it depends on which part of the frac market you might be conversing with on what is dicey. We traditionally. Uh, have tried to place our teams and our assets with blue chip EMPs that have very consistent long-term, uh, you know, long long-term calendars. Uh, we've we've successfully done that, even hydrated it somewhat this year. And as we look into fourth quarter, I mean, here we are in in the fourth quarter right now. We're going to work almost solidly through Thanksgiving, and there will probably be weather and downtime around Christmas. Uh, but other than that, it's it's a it's a solid booked calendar, and I think I don't I don't want to say that there hasn't been maybe some uh, some downtrend in pricing in parts of the market. Right. We're not ones to say that we have a very dedicated, consistent model, and we have not seen we've seen positive pricing into the fourth okay. quarter. There has, you know, if you look at the fringe or the leading bleeding edge of the spot market, I would not be surprised if there's been pressure on that on that part. So of the really, market. so it's a nuanced market. Call it a tale of two cities, dedicated with maybe emission-friendly fleets mm-hmm. holding up better. Perhaps spot market legacy tier two, perhaps a bit more choppy. Do you think is that a wrong characterization? Are we oversimplifying it? Uh, I I think that might be a bit oversimplified. I think yeah. if there's if there has been pressure on the leading bleeding edge of say the spot market, I don't think it really has anything to do with what type of equipment you right. have. It just has to do with the Your fact customer. that spot market might have been twenty or thirty percent ahead of dedicated pricing, anyways. Right. So relatively, it would make sense if that were yeah. were to see some pressure. Yeah, but that's just not. A game that we're playing on a on a large scale, and I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but it just it sounds like you know, Pat, you know one of your competitors talked on the earnings call about bumping up against a drilling rig, mm-hmm. and we had a frat company say the same thing. So, but the big story, like just from our three days of driving home from everybody, is that the outlook is really good. Correct. Right, and that's the bigger picture. So I don't want to get that you know, sure. that get lost on folks, but you also you're going to have six tier four dual fuel fleets here, call it Jan one. Right. You got a seventh one coming. Mm-hmm. You will have two electric fleets arriving in Q3. Correct. With potentially more to come, not quantified. Correct. Talk to us about your, the ProPetro transition to emission-friendly equipment. And just sure. Yeah, exactly what you said is correct. And to reiterate that, 
um, a little bit more. We, we said on our earnings call last week that we're likely to have our first two electric fleets contracted long-term three-year-plus contracts before the end of this year, mm-hmm. if not sooner. Uh, highly confident about that with, with two different operators. Um, our, our strategy over time with the, uh, you call it emissions-friendly, I would add on fuel efficient sure, as yeah. well, right? That's, that's part of the emissions game, but also a big part of this for us and our customers is the economic savings that come with the ability to burn natural gas instead of diesel. Mm-hmm. And there's, maybe we can talk about it a little bit here later, but there's some really interesting things going on with natural gas, especially in the Delaware Basin. Um, so as, as we look at, at that transition, optimally, to play, this, um, to play this game that is the top half of the market from a next generation equipment, natural gas burning offering, we have to begin to wind down investment in diesel burning mm-hmm. equipment and replace that with investment in natural gas burning equipment. The, the, the best way to do that from a long-term, say, return on capital perspective is electric. The next best way to do that is dual fuel. Okay. There has been and, and will continue to be some small semblance of reinvestment in diesel fleets mm-hmm. to sustain our current activity and to take advantage of a market that is very profitable right now. But the optimal allocation of capital is to the top end of that equipment offering. Now, you know there have been nervous Nellies like me who over time get fearful that returns are good, you guys as an industry build to expand to grow EBITDA, and then ultimately we destroy returns. Mm -hmm. But you said on your call, and you're not alone, others are saying, this is a game about staying kind of where we are from a capacity standpoint, replacing legacy stuff. Mm -hmm. And, And so, as the first electric fleet comes in on, let's just say, July 1, making up a date here, mm-hmm. what do you do with the, the lowest tier fleet in your fleet? What happens? Uh, it's likely, and we've been asked the question a lot lately, are these two electric fleets going to be additive or are they right. going to be replacement? Right. If you just click and drag the circumstances of today, maybe it's one and one. Right. Likely it could be two replacements right. instead of one and one. Um, I think it it helps us to know more about what the specific circumstances and opportunity set are in Q3 when those when those fleets come on. I think what's interesting there, and maybe I have to kind of pinch myself a little bit in having this conversation. We're talking about one fleet, okay? Right. One fleet with the history of a company like ProPetro being extremely growth oriented. In fact, we, we went from 10 to 20 fleets in one year right. in 2017 into 2018. Right. We're talking about one fleet in a market that we believe is going to be pretty vastly undersupplied for the next year plus. Right. And I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate here sure. for a moment because it's fun. The, uh, <laughs> you know, I like but, it. But the, you know, you look back and there's multiple companies doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, there's differing views on the rig count, what happens. I don't know. Let's say for shits and giggles, we're up 50 rigs next year, maybe 60 rigs. Mm-hmm. You know, one driller thinks right. it could be more, and they're pretty smart. So hopefully, hopefully they're right. That would suggest maybe another 15 to 25 frat crews, again, across sure. the U.S. Right. Not sure. just the permit. And that market, you're absolutely right. We are still very tight. Correct. Right? Correct. But if the rig count is flat from here, and I guess the, if you see 
continued EMP consolidation where big companies buy private equity back privates who then drop activity, mm -hmm. you know, how does that influence your decision? Because that news media would suggest that there's lots of deals potentially out there. Yeah. And a lot of them, are, you know, here in the Permian. So obviously you guys think about this. So tell us how you yeah. think about it. Well, two, two things come to mind in that, in that line of thought, John. One is, um, and I don't, we won't camp out on this one now. Maybe this is something we can talk about in a, min in a minute. One is attrition, just yeah. the natural yep. attrition of equipment that's happening in this super efficient, multi-well pad, right. simulfrac type of world. Um, that is a significant player in, say, the frac sector maintaining the right amount of capacity mm -hmm. to service the rig activity. Right. What, what you mentioned around you know, continued E&P consolidation Traditionally, our strategy has been, whether it's by luck or grand design, to be more times than not on the side of the buyer. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that, that comes with this blue chip dedicated fleet model here in the Permian Basin. Um, it's not overly difficult to, to look at, say, an acreage map and then look at the balance sheets you see on that map and the sponsors and how those companies mm -hmm. are funded and structured some companies are just naturally built to sell. Right. It's not hard to see who, who some of those companies are from our seat and our perspective. We're not, it's not our job to be experts on the rock and the reservoir right. and all of that, but if you just look at maps, balance sheets, uh, scale and size, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's not hard to see that a large integrated, you know, will continue to own more acreage over time right. and that a private equity back leveraged um, company will be a seller mm -hmm. over time not 100 percent of the time so our strategy has been to be on the on the buyer side right of that because to be the incumbent when consolidation happens to be the frack incumbent when cons when when consolidation happens upstream of us in the emp space is is more times than not a stronger position to be in so short way of saying you're trying to pick your customers carefully sure higher quality bigger all else being equal. Simplistic sure, simplistic. sure. That, that, that said, what's, what's, what's very important to also have inside of that is a high-quality, efficient right. service. Mm -hmm. So there's been instances where we've been on the other side, mm -hmm. and this has even happened recently in the last couple of years, where we've been, say, with a smaller private equity-backed company that's been acquired mm -hmm. by a large public that maybe we haven't worked for in years, and they take a peek into the operational efficiencies that we help that program generate. And it ends up putting us in a very strong position to, to continue, if not build on that, build on that relationship. So really I don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify and say, Oh, just, just be on the side of the buyer. Yeah. It's probably even more important to just be really, really Have good, good at, really good, good at what you yeah. do. Right. And in, in today's world where efficiency matters and consistent, predictable production matters, right that really puts you in the driver's seat. You brought up attrition. And when you read press releases, you don't always see attrition. But we were driving around East of Midland and drove by yeah. a bunch of repair shops and you see attrition, Yeah. right? And there's in a lot time. of name brand, yeah. you know, pump trailers sitting there waiting to get repaired, lined up. Yep. Um, like any frat company, you probably have stuff that breaks. Right? Every day. So when your engine breaks or your transmission goes down, what are the lead times to get that repaired? Yeah, it, it, the short answer is that it depends on it. 
It, it everything depends. depends. Right. I get it, but just yeah. simplistically, we like saying that here too. <laughs> depends is my favorite word. Uh, but but I mean, it was really shocking. Just the, I mean, yeah. and the thing is, we like we know who are some of the the bigger repair shops are because we come out here a lot. But it's like we uncover new repair shops that we had no idea existed, and yeah. there's a lot of frack equipment there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, I th- I think as we look down the chain, down the value and supply chain, and look at what we think it is going to take for our own fleet to maintain the level of activity that we have today mm-hmm. and then those that we compete closely with in the Permian Basin to maintain that level of activity. The supply chains are built today just to maintain. Right. They can't possibly do anymore. And, and, and we could talk, you know, more later if, if you're interested about, um, you know, if this is going to turn into a build cycle. This is an upgrade and a maintenance right. cycle. Yep. There's been multiple other CEOs in our sector say the exact same thing. We, we completely agree because uh, there's th- the market is bifurcating along the lines of safe quality operations that are right. also bringing fuel-efficient, emissions-friendly equipment right. and those that are not. And we said this very clearly in earnings call last week because we want to play that fuel-efficient, high-efficiency game. Right. Um, so we are very, very focused on building our capacity and our supply chains around allowing us to do that. Mm-hmm. And we're not the biggest frack company. We've got some uh, some great density and scale in the Permian Basin, uh, but we're pretty proud of, of the position that we're able to garner inside of the supply chains to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. To be any smaller than we are to try and jump in the supply chain right. to play this high efficiency emissions friendly game i would hate to be on that side of the coin right now so as you've just done an acquisition i want to come sure yeah, that keeps you pretty busy yep you sold some stuff again it keeps you busy you just got back from an investor non-deal roadshow keeps you busy mm-hmm. how much of your time is spent on supply chain uh you know i've got a great team um i've got not only do do we have a great team that helps us on the supply chain front we've got great customers that allow us to plan um, so we're not having to do anything speculatively on the on the on the supply chain front. Um, that said, it's 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 pretty important, you know, to make sure that we keep our ear to the ground with companies like Caterpillar and make sure that we keep our spot in line and that we are continuing to be a player at the table with a company like that. Right. That takes some time, right? But from an execution standpoint, you know, I rely pretty heavily on my team to match match the supply chain, the orders, the refurbishments, the conversions to what our activity outlook is and what our customers need from okay. us. One more on supply chain, then I want to jump to uh, the gas side. You've got the two electric fleets coming in Q3. Mm-hmm. Just to put this in perspective for our listeners, when did you issue right. the PO, if you will, for the electric fleet? When was the original de- delivery time and has it been pushed to the right? The point I'm trying to get to is as we think about supply-demand balance, which favors the industry now, if we wanted to go order, if Bill yeah. and I decide we're going to start, you know, Danger Partners Frack Services, <laughs> Not we've got some time before we're actually going to be yeah. pumping. Yeah, so yeah it's walk, pretty. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty simple. I mean, we we placed that order roughly a couple months ago, and it was, you know, ten months to a year lead time. So it's kind of third quarter to third quarter. Okay. okay. And if you if you have placed order number three, which mm-hmm. you haven't said, I'm not asking you to say it, but if you, is it taking longer? Or shorter, similar. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's not For getting it's not getting any shorter. It might be getting a month longer. Right. 
You mentioned, but not like significantly. It's not blowing up from a year to eighteen months correct. or something like okay. that. Okay. Okay. The gas you talked about gas in the Delaware. I'm referring to getting gas as a source for providing power or energy, mm -hmm. if you will, to the, the mm -hmm. dual fuel or the electric fleets. Mm -hmm. What's the infrastructure like? We be relying on CNG, we rely on field gas. What do you think? Uh, probably a combination of CNG and conditioned field gas. Okay. Um, the customers that we're working for uh, in the Delaware Basin that we're doing either dual fuel or will be doing electric with, these guys are the best of the best. Okay. They have the best infrastructure they know how to do this. Um, some of them are, are somewhat integrated in that area. And they need somebody like us to show up, plug in, you know. So and They and, have to have it all basically ready gas. to go when you show up. From a gas standpoint, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, very very much so. It doesn't mean that they won't work with third parties and that there might need to be CNG in some instances um, that's, that's not as directly supplied by uh, their own operations. Uh, but we are we are highly confident on the gas side. I guess my comment earlier around gas in the Delaware Basin is more of an economic one, with you know seeing gas almost go down to zero right. mm -hmm. from a price standpoint in certain areas in the Delaware Basin. That's not our arena to be expert in, mm -hmm. but in working with our customers and listening to other public commentary. If we can, if we can position ourselves to go bring gas burning offerings to those areas, you create a significant amount of savings, not only for your customer, uh, but you create s such a significant amount of savings that all, it also allows us to capitalize on that opportunity economically. So that's that's an example of this, you know, the top end of the market, that part of the game. And from a medium to long-term perspective, as we're trying to build a more resilient company, mm -hmm. those are the games we want to play. Mm -hmm. okay. We don't want to be subject to the tide with a, with a diesel burning fleet in five years. Right. We want to be able to plan, to contract, and to be more commercial in areas where we can create significant win-win uh, scenarios for us and our customers. Okay. Uh, I want to jump back to just the outlook for the Permian for next year. Your view was relatively stable on the earnings call mm -hmm. but let's i don't have my all my numbers in front of it let's say there's 115 plus or minus five sure and fleets in the permian how do you is stable plus or minus five or how do you define how do you define stable flat flat yeah. okay flat. okay yeah. i got it that's cool uh you sold cold tubing mm -hmm. you bought wireline mm -hmm. both completion oriented services walk us through why you sell one why you buy the other Sure. Uh, on the on the cool tubing front, um, frankly, we were just subscale okay. there. We were we were only operating three large diameter units, um, and with a with a frac operation and a cementing operation, the size that they were, it was having a really hard time competing for capital. Mm -hmm. So to continue to do that and to fight the fight um, with another team within our company where personnel and labor are tight. Uh, it just made more sense to divest of that and to do it in a way where we could also play in the upside with a larger scale player. Mm -hmm. So we we sold that that equipment, um, and virtually all of those people were hired with Step Energy Services, right. and we took uh, a significant amount of the consideration and equity mm -hmm. as well. So. It's not that we don't believe in cool tubing as a service line. It's that it just didn't fit our strategy, right. and it couldn't. It had a really hard time fighting for capital 
in our business? And I would say, yes, cool tubing in the Permian Basin is a completions-oriented business, not as much as something like Wireline okay. is. So it's a step off of the frac location where, uh, you know, our, our confidence to go forward with a, with a new service line like Wireline is, on, is literally on location with us mm-hmm. as we look at the opportunities around the completions location when FRAC mm-hmm. is on location. Right. That's more of the rationale behind the wireline so when acquisition. You, when you buy Silvertip, because the deal's closed now. Correct. Uh, you've got, call it 15 fleets, plus or minus one. They have, I believe, 23 wireline units, plus, if I'm not mistaken, a, a fleet of pump-down units, which are all Tier 4. Mostly, Mostly all to, yeah. you know, yep. emission-friendly, so yep. check the box. Correct. Is the ultimate objective to have one silver tip wireline unit with each of your frac fleets? Or is it let them, because I know there's some customer overlap. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the pros and cons of having you guys together on every single job. Sure. They're, they're, they're on about five of our 15 frac okay. locations right now. Um so that, that, is, that is part of it. The way I've explained it recently is in the long term, that's where we believe things are going, where okay. companies like ProPetro are providing more of the services on location. In the near term, I would say that's not a priority okay. in the strategy. They have a very efficient, very safe operation that is very profitable and cash flow creative to, to our legacy business right, right now. We want to protect that. Okay. That is part of the rationale and leaving them branded the way they are right. um, and operating them basically as another service line subsidiary okay. um, of our but current it's, operation. It's not meant to be a platform to go roll up the wireline market. Is that no. Okay. okay. No. Got it. Now, l- l- listen, we're, we will remain inquisitive around opportunities to continue to add. But that wasn't the foundation the of the deal. No, it wasn't. Okay. Um, so the next question is you've seen some of your competitors who ha- have wireline also step into the sand market. Mm-hmm. What's the appeal, if any, for you guys to look at that? Yeah, sand's, sand's interesting. I would say, uh, you know, if you asked me that question three to five years ago, we'd kind of <laughs> laugh and chuckle and say, why would we ever do that? Yeah. I'm not here today to tell you that we're getting into the sand market by right. any means. But in my career, in the last 11 to 12 years, I've watched sand migrate from Wisconsin right. on a bunch of rail cars to West Texas, 90, 80, 90 miles away from our, you know, from say the Midland Basin and the Delaware Basin to almost on location. Yes. So that last part for me personally uh, is interesting. Right. How much closer can it get? Are we asking, we're asking ourselves now. Right. So if I believe uh, as a leader manager of a company like ProPetro that, that in 10 years from now, the most competitive companies are providing more of the completions location. Right. Then what does that look like if sand is, you know, just a stone's nice. throw away? So the uh, a really smart sand guy told me he likes to call those those mines proximity mines as yeah. opposed to many or mobile right. mines. I've been calling them hyperlocal. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> else on my team has called them that, but that's what I keep calling so you're them. Push that that one. So I yeah. guess the question I'm not trying to poo-poo anybody because we we love all of our clients, but. The, do you notice a difference in the sand? I mean, the sand quality's impact to your pumps if you're using yeah. that type of sand versus the various other grades. Because there've been some people say, yeah. nope, no issue, and they've had others that say, oh my gosh, it's a problem. What have you guys experienced? Yeah, so so our experience is limited okay. right now. We've we've only had a few months worth of experience with one crew okay. with what I would call 
or what what they are calling damp sand. Right. Not so totally it's wet. Like it's correct. That, it's it's, it's damp, damp. Right. Um, and I think our operating teams have argued about it's it's damp. They say it's dry. We say it's wet. Right. It, but I think. Um, it's something that we've been concerned about. Right. So because of that concern, it's been something that we've been watching very closely. Right. And that's an example of if you want to, if you want to be really good in the frack market and you want to build a business that's going to sustain and create value over the long term, you have to be pretty intentional about how you approach things right. like that. I'm not sitting here saying we're the experts, um, but our team perked up. Okay. When when we knew that that was coming our way, so you're monitoring so it's, the data now. It's something that we want to monitor closely. It's also something that if we can, in a fairly cost-effective way, kind of defend ourselves against from right. a quality perspective and protect our equipment, right. then why wouldn't we do that? Okay, let's figure out a way to protect our equipment and learn about one of these new things that's coming to the market. Because if it becomes more of a tool for our customers, then we want to be good at it. Right. So ProPetro's not looking to buy a sand mine next week is the answer. Okay. Uh, labor markets. It's been a real pain for everybody, the labor situation, the better part of the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if the market's stable from here, if that's your view, are you worried about labor as you go into next year? Less so than we were. Okay. That said, um, it's just such a different labor market for a lot of different reasons. This podcast today is not going to be long enough for us to talk about all of those. Um, But we have a very, you guys know us really well. We have a very specific business model. We have a very, you know, we have a single geography. So as, as you hear us talk about the labor market, I would not expect four of my larger peers to say the exact same, same things we, we would say. Um, where it's different, uh, and this is, I guess I could call it my third cycle in the last 12 years, this is not a growth cycle. Each of the last few have been, in our sector, growth cycles. The strategy that you employ from a labor perspective in a growth cycle mm-hmm. is very different than the strategy that we employ today and what's more of a maintenance from a labor standpoint. It's tweaking the knobs of do we have the right do we have the right customers that give our cut that give our employees the right consistency mm-hmm. in their lives um, and do we have the right compensation packages and benefit packages to make it worth their while to come work with us right. it's not um, you know a super hard pedal to the metal recruiting effort and just trying to migrate people into our operation every day right. uh, so so it's it's I don't want to simplify it and say that it's easier than it has been because it's not. It's just different. The things that we're talking about around trying to give our employees, you know, a really good workplace are just different conversations than we would have, say, five years ago. But you don't necessarily need to go hire hundreds of more people if you're not expanding capacity. Correct. So simplistically, it should be better. Correct. That All said, that said, um, and this is something long-term I'm interested to play a part in solving, our industry as a whole does not give the blue-collar worker a bunch of really good reasons to move their life right. out to West Texas. Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I don't like that, right? right? Um, 
my my hope is that we are building businesses upstream and downstream that are going to be more resilient and more disciplined that are going to give people better places to work over time and give people more reasons to move their lives and their families to a place like West Texas and make a career. Right. Makes sense. Okay. I want a couple more topics because we've got a whole ass across to get to our next meeting. Yeah. So you just got back from um, New York, Boston, seeing investors. Obviously, mm-hmm. you don't need to name names who you saw. But as you listen to some of the earnings calls from Q3, Q2, and listen to your peer group, it is different the messaging that's being conveyed this time around versus prior cycles, right? I believe next year, returning a certain portion of cash flow. Yep. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, I'm getting old and I'm losing my mind. I can't remember what everyone said, but it was different in terms of how they're managing their spend, their focus on free cash flow. As you go see investors recently, do they believe you? And if not, when, what do you, how much longer until you think they actually say, hey, these guys have kind of figured it out. Returns matter for service companies just as much as they do for EMP companies. Because they have bought in, I think, to mm-hmm. the EMP messaging because right. we've mm-hmm. got history now. So just your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the focus is shifting towards our sector from an investor standpoint. It, it is, uh, it's very evident what the EMP space has done over the last, say, five years. Right. And they've been very successful in changing their model to be more of a shareholder returns-oriented one on the, on the financial and economic side. Now the investors are turning to our sector and saying, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's great that, that that's where we're moving and that's where we're heading, uh, specifically for ProPetro, I'm, I'm trying to be, and, and, and I'm trying to push my team to be as thoughtful as we can about building the right business that can do that sustainably and not just slapping down a special dividend or a buyback program. I'm not accusing my right. peers of, right. of, of doing this, but that's a big decision right. for you know a company with the market cap and the volatility that a company like ProPetro has um, burdened you know for the last few cycles. So we want to be really thoughtful about that. We're really excited about the opportunities that the uh, that the general not not the investor market, but just the general frac market is going to give us in the next few years to mm-hmm. to build our business to fit something that can that can generate a more sustainable return that can be shared. So I'd say I'd say the conversation with investors is very constructive. Uh, there's probably a few that are still very skeptical mm-hmm. that they say we go to our PMs and. And they say, "Oh, I'll believe it when I see it," or, right. or tell me again in a year if they're still paying it. And and there's there's still definitely some of that at the higher level, um, of the of the investment community. Uh, but what we're trying to do in those conversations is to also solicit feedback from the type of investor that we want to garner long term as a company, and they're not shy about giving that feedback. Right. The the somewhat puzzling thing is you get. And as you guys know, with with y'all's connections in the on the buy side in the investment community, you get a million different answers when you ask sure. for okay. Now you know our now you know ProPetro's story and you know our strategy. Um, what do you think about a shareholder returns program? What's meaningful? How much is enough? When all that? And you get you get a different answer every time. Yeah. It matters. Yeah, I mean, you you want to speak to the the thoughtful 
investor as opposed to the guy that's just looking at his Excel sheet and saying, why is CapEx $2 million higher than what you told me? Like, Correct. All right, okay. Uh, last well, and, and, and we get feedback from investors like, well, why would you pay a 2% dividend? I can just go buy a treasury. Right. Fair right. Enough. So yeah, yeah. Th- hearing things like that, you kind of go, hmm, okay. Yeah. But they also don't want to see too much growth because then. Correct. Okay. Nope. Last one for me, and Bill, jump in here. Yep. I've been a interview yeah, hog. Hog <laughs> I get it, Mike. I'm yeah. going. You're on a roll. Um, yeah. You know, we were we had breakfast uh, this morning with one of your co- peers, and we were talking. He was sharing a, 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 st- a news story that I guess Jeff Curry from Goldman oh, was yeah, interviewed was on, on Squawk Box and was talking yeah. about like a 12-year super cycle. I haven't seen the interview, but Jeff Curry's a smart guy. Right. We'll have to go look at it. And then just the last couple of days, speaking with people, I mean, even notwithstanding Q4 seasonality, which is not a big deal, the outlook and confidence for next year and beyond, I've never really seen it like this. Yeah. Right? And and that's it does kind of scare you, like when people are that excited. Because yeah. you're trying to figure out like what the heck can go wrong here. Right. Seeing that you've been through a couple cycles. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, your family has a long history in the in the energy business. Correct. Get, close with us right now and talk about you know what your gut tells you sure what your customers are saying to you that gives you confidence just elaborate and and then we'll close it sure out. yeah and, and 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 look um we are super i almost get like literally get chills when i say this we are super excited right about the next few years right i'm not your macro expert and i'm not your Neither goldman guy yeah. That that is going to tell you is is, is going to prognosticate, yeah. but there's there's some there's some pretty simple, straightforward data out there that says we have some major global structural energy issues, right. and they're not going to be solved quickly. Um, we are proud to be a vital part of the energy value chain that can, over the next five to ten years, solve some of those problems. What 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 I quickly go to in my mind and in my heart is it doesn't really matter. We have to build a business that's sturdy, that provides a, the highest level of quality to our customers and we'll take the opportunities that the cycles give us. So we've, we have been really, really focusing on that latter part and putting that, that sturdy, resilient, high quality business into whatever the market gives us. Just so happens to be that we have a pretty high belief that we're gonna get almost every opportunity, ProPetro specific and our sector, to build companies that are that because this cycle, it looks pretty good. So it's safe to say you're having more fun now than you've ever had in your professional career. <laughs> well, it's 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 a challenge, you know. I've, all I've ever asked for is a challenge. Um, and hopefully there's a few people maybe that'll listen to this podcast and and we have three listeners can, in our audience. Can, yeah. can confirm that. No, I think we had 200. No, I, I okay. um, but we're, we're getting that challenge, and it's, it's, more on the, uh, it's more on the positive side. You know, you can have challenges and downturns that are, that are tough and hard and not fun at all. Right. The challenges that exist today that are fun for me and that are exciting are that we have legitimate opportunities to – evolve and transform our business into something that is going to be way more bulletproof because this cycle should give us those opportunities. Got it. Cool. Bill, you got anything? I think you took all of my Sorry. questions. No, it's <laughs> fine. No, it's all good. No, 
again, Sam, thanks for taking the time with us. Hope you enjoyed this. We're still, yeah. uh, you know, like we're still new at this. We know how to do this and like moderate panels and do all that kind of stuff. But this is like a new, a new thing for us. We're going to see if we can make this so that not just our moms listen. To second, <laughs> you know, we figured how to turn this thing on. Right? Well, yeah, you'll, you'll right. gain, you'll gain one more listener because my mom will definitely listen. <laughs> there you go. All right. Good. All right thanks, Sam. Thanks right, guys. Thanks for having us.